All right, my task in the next 30 minutes is to tell you if everything that you're just saying is true. Are we really going to fly away? Is he really coming soon? Will there be trumpets? I watched very closely as we sang that song. Got it all scripture checked, and we will tell you the outcome in a moment. We are talking about, some of you don't know my, some of you don't know me, you're visiting, you think, this guy's not funny at all. The rest of them know me so well, they don't think I'm funny either. But Yes, and some of them think I'm forgetful. You kids that go to an activity on Sunday night, you are dismissed. You can go to the other room where there's more humor. <laughs> All right, anybody else want to go? Well, not, it's just not, not everybody that wants to go, it's just the kids now. <laughs> We're talking about the end times and the afterlife. We're looking at things that people want to know about the Bible I uh, don't think we need to review all of that, but we've picked this big superheading of the end times and the afterlife. Eschatology is the big word for it, the study of the final events, the, the end of time, what's going to happen then. Uh, we broke it into a number of different topics, uh, and we're ready for the fourth topic. We've talked about prophecy a little bit. We've talked about what the millennium is. We've talked a couple of weeks about the intermediate state, what is Hades and uh, the place of the dead and what goes on there, and tonight we're ready for the second coming. Uh, I, hope we're, I hope we're ready for the second coming, but in this lesson we're going to talk about the second coming, and we're going to take two weeks to do that because there's a lot involved in the second coming. Uh, now let me do a little reminding since it's been a while since we started here. Uh, prophecy is tricky. Understanding prophecy, uh, prophetic writings in the Bible, is a difficult task. Sometimes it's got kind of a dual meaning. Sometimes it applies to different times than we think. Uh, a lot of times it's in figurative language instead of literal. So all of that makes prophetic writings difficult to understand. Now, when we're talking about the end times... Everything written about the end times is prophetic writings. Hadn't happened yet. The, the, all the writers wrote in, in prophetic terms about the end times. So this is not all that easy to understand every detail. A little difficult. Uh, second thing I'd like to say is a lot of it, or some of it, and some of our ideas of the end times come from the book of Revelation. But Revelation is exceedingly difficult. Uh, I told you before, that's why I believe it's number 66 in the book, is because I'm supposed to do learn the other 65 first. Uh, once I get them figured out, I'll try to figure out Revelation. I'm not an expert on Revelation. I don't think there is an expert on Revelation, actually. Uh, it's a difficult book. So some of the things that come out of there are extra hard. The other thing about the prophetic writings and the end times and what we're reading is, this is kind of my rule of thumb. If I read a couple of scholars that talk about a verse or a topic like I'm talking about tonight, and both of those scholars 
have the same worldview as I do, have the same restoration principle as I do, want to understand the Bible, have the same hermeneutic as I do, the way of studying the Bible, I come from the same tradition as I do, if those two guys come to a different conclusion, and they're both top scholars, I mean brilliant at what they do, and they come to a different conclusion, I figure I'm okay whichever one I kind of agree with. And all of this stuff I've been talking about, I found top scholars in the brotherhood that think and study and all that a lot like I do, and they've got a little different take on it, like we just finished the intermediate state. What happens there? I found two major differences in among two guys that I think are the best scholars going. So uh, it doesn't mean I don't care about this. It doesn't mean that it's not important at all. It means if it's that hard to figure out, I don't think it's going to be on the entrance exam. Yeah. I don't think we have to have this right to get into heaven. I think it's interesting. I think the more we know about it and understand, the more exciting heaven is. But I tried to tell you this at the first, that ultimately we need to be ready when it's time for us to go, no matter what we understand about all this stuff. Uh, and the converse of that is, since I don't think it's going to be on the entrance exam, if you've studied it in great detail and have come up with a different conclusion on the part of it and disagree with me, you're not going to bother me at all. You're not going to ruffle my feathers if you say, oh, I think you got that part wrong. Well, I might have got it wrong. But on the other hand, if you haven't studied it at all, I'm going to give you the best I can do. From all the stuff I've read, everything I've studied, as many scholars as I went through to put some of this together, I'm going to give you the best i got. So if you haven't studied it, take it for what it's worth. Hope, uh, hope it helps you answer some questions that people have about the end times and the afterlife. All right, the second coming. We can be sure of one thing. There is going to be a second coming. Scriptures over and over decidedly say that, that Christ is going to appear a second time, Hebrews 9.28. Christ will appear a second time. Jesus himself promised, I will come again and receive you to myself. Before he left in John 14.3, he said, I'll come back, I'm going to come back and I'll receive you to myself. At his ascension, when the apostles watched him go up into heaven, the angels themselves turned to the apostles and said, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's coming again. He's coming back. So the Bible all through it tells us that. So there's going to be a second coming. The first time Jesus came, he came incarnate in flesh as a baby. He lived 30 years or so. He showed God to people. He died on the cross. He was resurrected. He ascended back into heaven. And the angel said, he's coming back just like that. Just like he went up, he's going to come back and receive you to him. All right. So, second coming, the fact, we got it settled. It's going to happen. 
Now, the main thing people in the world worry about is going to be signs. There's going to be some kind of warning. Will there be anything that says, get ready, he's about here. Can I read the newspapers and if Israel starts fighting with somebody here, can I, I say, whoa, it's getting closer. Will there be signs of his coming? Mark of my strange humor here, I wrote, to be as clear as possible, yes and no. Is the answer to that. Uh, yes, there's going to be signs, but will you be able to pinpoint that, oh, I see this sign, that means I got two weeks? No, not going to be that kind of sign. So let's go through that. I wrote a little bit about signs and yes and no deal. Uh, I think they're going to be signs, I think they're going to be ambiguous, that we can't be specific or dogmatic about it which is probably the first thing wrong with that song we just sang. We can't say Jesus is coming soon. We ought to say Jesus may be coming soon. Uh, and it all depends by what you mean soon. Uh, in that sense, yeah, I think he's coming soon. And that's the way we sing it. But we're not singing it like next Wednesday. We know he's going to be here. Uh so sign. Now here's the reason I believe there are signs and what the nature of the signs is. When we talked about the millennium, and this is the trick with prophecy, if you take part of it and interpret it some way, you've got to interpret it the rest of it that way. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, talks about the thousand year reign. The, the period of a thousand years, and it talks about that at the start of that, Satan is going to be bound, and at the end of it, he has to be loosed for a little while, for a short time. Now, if you remember when we studied the millennium, I said that I'm an amillennialist. I don't believe there's a literal thousand-year reign, but I believe there is a long period that the Bible calls a thousand years, and that long period started when Jesus went back to heaven and started reigning. That was the start of the reign, and it will end when Jesus comes back. That's what I think the thousand years is. Now, if I believe that, and if I'm consistent and a, a fair scholar, then I've got to look at Revelation 20 and verse 3 and figure out how that fits. Revelation verse uh, well, 2 talks about at the start of this thousand-year period, uh, the great dragon, the devil, Satan, is bound with a great chain and bound for that thousand years to keep him from deceiving the nations until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time to deceive the nations again. All right, if I buy the first of it, I'm in for all of it. So, if I'm an amillennialist, I believe we're in the millennial year reign. At the end of it, this has got to happen. Satan has got to be loosed for a short time to deceive the nations. He's bound right now. He can't deceive the nations the way he would like to, but he's got to be loosed so he can. So, we've got to explain that. And that's the signs that I think are going to be visible. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12 is kind of a parallel passage. 
Except in that one, Paul talks about the man of lawlessness. And that the man of lawlessness has got to be revealed before Jesus comes back. And it talks about the man of lawlessness being restrained right now. But at some point, he'll have to be let loose. He'll have to be identified. We'll have to recognize him. Now, once again, the other millennial positions take that and make that into the, the Antichrist and all kinds of things. We don't, I don't believe that. Uh, but I believe we've got to account for Satan being loosed for a period and this man of lawlessness. Now, here's what I think that means. Now, first, let's understand Antichrist. Some people take that and say, oh, it's the Antichrist. The Left Behind Boys wrote the book with the Antichrist in there. Uh, Antichrist is hardly in the Bible at all. It's in a couple of verses in 1 John 2, 1 John 4, and 2 John verse 7. And what John says is, is anybody that denies Christ is an Antichrist. And you can go read the... I'm not going to take time looking up now. Anybody who denies that Christ is the Son of God, came from heaven, all that, they're anti-Christ. And John says there's a whole bunch of them. He said they're out there now. There's people out there now who are anti-Christ. He never says the anti-Christ. He talks about there being more than one, being a lot of them. And then he says any of them that deny Christ are anti-Christs. But there are some passages that relate that to this man of lawlessness and the other things. So I think that ties in to Satan being loosed. Okay. I believe when Satan is loosed at the end of the millennial time for a short period, that we'll be able to see signs. Now, let me explain what that is before you get too excited. Some of you are looking at me a little cross-eyed there. Um, this period of time, this battle between God's people and the forces of Satan and all that, it's going to be spiritual, not physical. The premillennialists, the dispensational premillennialists will talk about the battle of Armageddon and the armies are going to gather and all that's going to happen. It's not going to be a physical battle. I believe it's going to be a spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6.12 is where I get that. That's We don't battle against physical things. Ephesians 6.12 says our, our battle is with spiritual forces. Let's go over to Ephesians 6.12. Make sure we, sometimes I try to hurry too much and don't read some to make sure we know what it says. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Okay. Now, we're battling during the millennial reign, but Satan's bound. He's restricted. He's not at full force. Shortly before Jesus comes again, he's going to turn him loose. And that spiritual battle is going to increase. He's going to have more effect, more power than he does now. He's living, or than he does before he's loosed. 
almost slipped up there. I, I think he may be loosed already. But I'll tell you why. You've you got to decide that for yourself in a little while. Uh, so it's going to be a spiritual battle. And I think what's going to happen during that spiritual battle, the things that will characterize it, I put down three things. First of all, there's going to be a period of great falsehood. Okay? What's Satan do? What's his thing? What did Revelation 20 say? When he's rolling, what's he really like to do? Deceive the nations. He teaches false doctrine. He gets people to believe the wrong thing. When he's bound, he can't do that as well or as much or as effectively. And when he's loosed, he can do that again more. He can deceive the nation. So if he's loosed, he'll start doing his thing again, and there will be a whole lot more falsehood. And there will be a lot more folks believing a lie, believing what is false, and being deceived. It's going to be harder to hold to the truth because there's so much falsehood out there in this period, whenever it may be. Second, it'll be a time of great wickedness. Okay? The sins that men practice and men accept and men even celebrate and rejoice in will ratchet up. There will be more wickedness. Look over at Second Timothy 3. Second <clears throat> Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Paul told Timothy, he said, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, here again, why prophecy is tricky. In one sense, we're in the last days. This is the last age. But I believe Paul's talking here about that time when Satan is loosed right before Jesus comes. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So he lists the kind of things, and if you want to take it for the whole last times, go right ahead. If you want to take it for that time when spirit, Satan's loosed, I think it fits perfectly well. Those are the sins of the last days. People will take pleasure in wickedness. They will celebrate those who do wickedness. Thirdly, I think there's going to be a time of increased persecution. And that may mean, we, may, we think of the tribulation kind of talk about imprisonment and all of that kind of thing. I think it could be much milder than that. I made a list kind of increasing in seriousness. I started out with social ostracizing. If you're a Christian in those days when Satan has been loosed, you're going to be more and more out of step with society. You're going to be more and more treated like you aren't acceptable. Uh, you're going to be ridiculed intellectually. You say you believe in the truth when everybody else is believing in falsehood. They're going to call you stupid. Physical attacks, slavery, 
martyrdom. I think all that's possible as persecution increases. Now, I think all of that's going to happen when Satan is loosed for that short time. Now, here's where it gets tricky. How long is the short time? When is this? We don't know. How long has the millennium lasted already? If you're an amillennialist and believe it started when Jesus started reigning, we're in the year 2014 right now. He was around 33 when he started reigning. So that's 1900 and some years. I forget to put the, I didn't put the answer in there. You can do it in your head or with a pencil. 1900 some years, the millennium's been going. You say, well, that's almost 2,000 years. Oh, well, yeah, it's figurative. My, what you need to do with that is, in the light of 2,000 years, what's a short period? What's a short time? In, in the big scope of things, in a 2,000-year period, is 100 years a short time? I think so. 5%. I think that's a short time. Is 50 years a short time? Well, yeah, it's even shorter short time. So let's just take the, take 200 years. That's a tenth. Okay. Now here's where the why I said yes and no. I think there's going to be those signs. I think you'll be able to see them. But wherever you are in the millennium, you can see something that you call those. They're kind of... Uh, intentionally ambiguous, if you will. But in a short period, let's say a hundred years, let's take the last hundred years, have we seen a rise in belief in falsehood, in wickedness, and in persecution for Christians? Yeah. Okay? If you take a hundred years, if you look at it and say, have things changed pretty drastically in the last hundred years? Uh, I would say so. I, I'd say that this is there have been an increase in the spiritual battle for people's minds. Well, look what's happened in the 20th century. Well, what, what has arisen? How many isms? arose in the 19th and 20th century that didn't even exist before. I mean, all of the, the communism, evolutionism, materialism, uh, cults, humanism, pragmatism, relativism, all of those philosophies have come up within the last 100, 150 years. They're against Christ. They're false. And we've had a huge deluge of them in just 100 years. Cut it down to 25 or 50 years. What's come up in the last 25, 50 years? Nothing really new. Things that copy a lot of those. The New Age movement got a lot of people confused. Islam has kind of replaced communism as the major persecutor of Christians. Okay? Stalin and Lenin used to kill Christians because that's not compatible with their philosophy. Today, Islam does that. That's where the persecution's coming from. Okay? Postmodernism. Hey, people get into it, they get confused, they, they don't believe the truth anymore. Well, actually, they say there is no truth. Where'd that come from? 
Only one source, the deceiver of nations. It's what he said the very first crack he had at humankind. Did God say this? That's <laughs> not true. You don't have to believe that. He's still at it. Exactly the same game, but has it increased in the last 50, 100 years? I think so. Yeah. How about wickedness? Anybody think wickedness has increased in the last 50 years? Anybody over 15 thinks so? Anybody's been around very long? Says, well, yes. It's horrible what you see these days. Entertainment, TV, movies, uh, government-sponsored abortion, killing babies, internet porn, gay liberation, celebration of those kind of things. That wasn't heard of 50 years ago. If you went back and told your great-grandparents what's acceptable today, what everybody giggles at when you say your president did what? People that lived before Bill Clinton. Your president did what? Admitted. Oh, yeah, he's a womanizer. That's the way it is. One of his own party, his highest praise for Bill Clinton was, he is an unusually good liar. Yeah. Can you imagine a hundred years ago, somebody laughing off and celebrating the things that our, our president did just a few years ago? Can't conceive of it. Persecution? You say, well, we're not persecuted bad here. Some people laugh at Christians, especially Christians in Kansas, but, you know, it's not really persecution. We can take it. Well, go to India. Try to be a Christian. See what the Hindus do to you. Go to the Sudan. Tell the Muslims you're a Christian. See what they do to you. Go to Egypt. See what's happening to the Coptic Christians. That's the world we're in. So I, from my little safe 2014 perspective, look and say, can I see some of these signs? Whoa, yeah. I think Satan's been loosed. Now, the hard part is, I think if I lived in 1900, I could look around and say, I think Satan's been loosed. And I think the guys in the 1600s probably looked around and said, I think Satan's been loosed. <laughs> I think it's all ambiguous enough that we can't prove it. It may get so much worse in my lifetime that I say, oh, I don't think he was loose in 2014. I think he's loose now. I don't know how bad it's going to get because I don't know what a short time is. But I think I can safely say that 100 years is a short time in a period of 2,000 years, but... 500 years from now, somebody can look back and say, well, he, he had that wrong. I don't know what a short time is. But the whole purpose of doing all that is, are there going to be signs? Yes. If Satan's going to be loosed and he's going to deceive the nations more, then we're going to see more and more of this stuff. It's not going to be the kind of stuff that the left-behind folks tell you. It's not going to be 
on the headlines, Israel has gone to war with Egypt. It's going to be in the paper somewhere, but it's going to be what's happening in university classrooms and school classrooms and those kind of places. It's going to be what's happening in the religious world. It's going to be what's happening in the media. What's on TV and what's on the movies and what do people tolerate and put up with and celebrate? What's the religious world? What's the religious world arguing about today that they weren't arguing about 50 years ago? When I say religious world, I mean all the mainstream Christian religions. They're arguing about falsehoods that 50, 100, 500 years ago, no Christian of any stripe would have said, oh, we can't talk about that. But now all the mainstream Christian religions are deciding not only how, but how fast can we ordain people that obviously sin according to the Bible. It's a spiritual battle. It, it, it's the falsehoods, the wickedness, the stuff that's accepted in the world. I think Satan's working. I think he's been loosed, personally. I can't prove it to you. I can't tell you how many more years there are left. In one way, I hope I'm wrong, because I hope my grandchildren, it doesn't get that much worse. In one way, I hope I'm wrong, but in the other in the other sense, if it's this bad now, and he hadn't been turned loose yet, my grandkids are in a heap of trouble. Okay, there's going to be signs, but we can't pinpoint them. We can't say Jesus is coming soon. He may be coming soon, but I may be way off on what wicked is. We may have a long way to go before we see him loosed. Okay, now, as to will there be signs that we can pinpoint? Absolutely no. I put a whole bunch of scriptures down there at the bottom of that section that plainly say we cannot know the time. Matthew 24, 36, and 42, no one knows. Not the angels, not even the sun. They don't know when that's going to happen. Matthew 25, 13, you keep watch because you don't know when he's coming. Mark 13, no one knows, not the angels, not the Son. Luke 12, 40, you be ready because the Son of Man is going to come at an hour when you do not expect him. So if I, what I just went through convinces you that Jesus is coming second Tuesday of next month, I can guarantee you one thing, he won't come that day because he's going to come when nobody expects him. Okay, so that's what I think about the signs. Now, what's going to happen when he comes? And that's the wrap-up of that whole thing. That's the secret. Is We can't prove when he's coming, so just be ready. Be on the watch. You be ready whenever he comes. All right, now the event of his coming, what's that going to be like? All that other stuff is kind of negative. This is going to get good. Okay, what the Bible calls it is a good tip-off to us, how... how Powerful it's going to be. There's three Greek words that are used to refer to Christ's coming. 
epiphania, which you may recognize as epiphany. That means to show or to appear, translated appearance or appearing. That doesn't sound too exciting by itself, but hold on here. Apocalypsis means a revelation, an uncovering. It's, it's showing, it's revealing all of a sudden Jesus. And then parousia, the last one, is the coming or the presence, which has a little more majesty sound to it. That's because it was used for when a, a high official or a king or somebody came into town. There was a parousia, his coming, his appearance. It was a majestic thing when the king rolled into town. Okay? Now you put all those three together. How did Jesus come the first time? Was that a pretty big blowout? You remember Christmas story? Remember? I can go over that with you if you want. Remember what happened? Who knew? Shepherd or two. That was it. What, what else? What was the? What was seen? Nothing. How glorious was Jesus? He was veiled in flesh and clothed in humiliation. It wasn't a glorious coming. His first coming, nobody knew. Except when people started telling them. And they'd see some of it when Jesus would do glorious things. But mostly, that was really low key. So the words that the Bible uses for it is now he's going to appear. It's going to be a revealing it's going to be an appearance like no other appearance. It's going to be a perusia. The king is coming. And if you go on and read the descriptions of what it's going to be like, what little description we have, it's going to be something. I just summarized it with some headings here. The manner of his coming. It's going to be personal. It's going to be him himself, the Lord himself, First Thessalonians 4 says, will descend from heaven. The angel said, this same Jesus who you see going to heaven, now he's going to come back the same way. Except it's going to be his perusia, it's going to be his unveiling. It's going to be visible. Revelation 1-7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. It's going to be sudden. Matthew 24, that's 27, by the way. I got the type over there. Matthew 24, 27. It'll be like a bolt of lightning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, like a thief in the night. It's going to be quick, sudden. It's going to be triumphant and glorious. Matthew 24, 30 says, he's going to come with power and great glory. 25, 31 says, he's going to come in his glory and all the angels with him. Second Thessalonians 1, 7, 8 says he's going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, we got an appearance now, folks. He is coming with all his angels and flaming fire around him, and it's going to be sudden, and every eye will see it. How's it going to work? I always tell you, how's hard to figure out. The only clue, even close to clue, and I don't think it's a good clue, is Matthew twenty four twenty seven, says, like lightning in the east is seen to the west. Every eye will see it. If somehow it's going to happen. 
And I don't know if he's going to make a circumnavigation of the earth and give everybody a chance to see him. I don't know how that's going to work. Our legend, and basically it's taken from that one verse, is that he's coming in the east. The trouble with that is exactly where in the east. Because if you're a few degrees east of that, he's in the west. But he can do miraculous things, if I remember right. So he could appear where everybody sees him all at once. He can big screen the whole sky for all I care. I don't know what he's going to do. But when he appears and everybody sees him with all his angels and with flaming fire, he is going to be revealed, apocalypsed, uh, uncovered. His presence, his majesty, everybody's going to see it at once. That's what his appearing is going to be like. Now, let's do just the first part. I didn't bring my watch tonight, so I don't know what time we're at. Uh, let's do just the first piece of the second page, because it ties right into that. I went into a little more detail in his appearance. Everyone on earth is going to see him with all these angels, and they're going to hear three things. So there's a little more to it than just seeing him. Okay, Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see him. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.16 gives us more detail. It says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout. And ESV calls that a cry of command. He's going to say something. Then the archangel is going to say something. And then the trumpet of God is going to sound. Okay? Those three things are going to happen when he appears. And the, the cool part of that, I think the... The meaningful part, I don't know what his voice is going to sound like. I know what it did when they were at Sinai, scared them to death. Yeah, I don't know what the archangel sounds like. It's going to be something, though. Now, the trumpet of God, exactly what that means, I don't know, it's the trumpet of God, but go back to the Old Testament, the trumpet had a great significance when... Moses blew the trumpet, or had the priest blow the trumpet. Numbers 10, you can look all this up. What did the trumpet mean? Time to move. Time for the congregation to leave. Priest, you get to packing up the tabernacle, get it all packed up properly because we're going somewhere else. Trumpet's going to sound. Congregation is leaving. It's going to be a glorious appearing. Then, we'll cover this next week, all of the wicked on earth are going to die, I believe. All of the dead are going to be resurrected. The living are going to be transformed, and we'll be raptured up. We'll work on that next week. Good Lord willing, and the church don't rise, we'll work on it next week. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you tonight in any way you need. Uh, I'll be at the front here. Come, let's stand and sing.